Hello, and thank you for tuning into this episode of Solving Problems with Technology on HXGN Radio. I'm your host, Robin Azarud. In this episode, we're going to be talking about yet another important aspect within a company's digital transformation journey, and that's configuring the right solution. In uh, prior episodes, we work with JD Martin, JD's VP and Business Solutions Manager at Corbin's Electric. We're welcoming him back. Nate Unruh, Business Solutions Manager at Knox Innovations, and Jeff Wakefield, a Hexagon Exalt Solutions Continuous Improvement Expert. Uh, with that, welcome back, gentlemen. Thanks for having us, Robin. Yeah. Good to see you again. Appreciate you guys carving out the time, of course. Um, you guys have given a lot of insights, a lot of comments to build up to this point on a lot of different unique topics. I would like to just before we begin a quick recap for our listeners. In episode one, we discussed really the the importance, what kicked us off, the importance of digital transformation. We discussed, you know, why at Corbin's and Knox, why are you guys targeting and fixing broken processes within your organization? You know, what's the real value there? We compared things like digitizing versus digitalizing and digital transformation and kind of cleared up some of the buzzwords that are happening out there. We also discussed the impacts, the known or unknown to your culture and the lasting fruit and change that's you know brought about as a byproduct. Be sure to check that episode out. Episode two, we discovered the importance of uh, requiring good, uh, good uh, gatherment, gathering requirements, there it is. We learned about the proper steps to take, who's involved within the organization uh, departmentally, what are the key pitfalls to avoid. Episode three, we expanded on the topic of solution design. So you have those requirements. What are you going to do to document? What are you going to do to design the solution? What are some best practices to follow? What tools, what software tools are you going to use? And that leads us today, we're going to spend some time on the topic of configuring the right solution. We want to explore, highlight, you know, what are some best practices when configuring the right solution? Uh, with that, let's get started. Nate, I'd like to have you start first. So how do we do it? We have this solution design. It's started, you know, formulating this idea. It's, it's a blueprint, a document. It's been reviewed. It's been modified. But now it's time to implement. You know, where, where do we begin when it comes to this workflow, what are some important steps to take? I'll, I'll hand it off to you. Yeah, thanks Robin. Um, yeah, so this really gets into uh, some of the specifics of actually building the solution. And uh, this will look different for all kinds of teams um, depending on what they look like, right? If you're an individual building something out, if you have a huge team of <laughs> um, developers, whatever that looks like, um, that will be the first um, idea is really make sure that you're focused on your team dynamic, what that looks like, who's going to be involved and make sure each of the roles are defined. So you have somebody that's on the kind of work management side, the product uh, management, and you have uh, the individuals that are actually doing some of the development of the solution. And then you've identified your key stakeholders. I know we've mentioned that quite a few times uh throughout this process but uh those outside individuals that aren't necessarily part of the direct team uh will really have a big impact on the success and failure of this because ultimately they're the ones that are deciding that um and we'll get that out the door um and 
launch. So that's the first thing is taking a look at your team, what that looks like. And then uh, the second thing is breaking down the project into actual work tickets. And a lot of, a lot of times it's easy to try to tackle, you know, any size project with <clears throat> varying levels of detail. And uh, you, it's, much easier to approach when you actually split it up into various items right and this can look a lot of different ways for each workflows you can split it up with um kind of back-end database development you can split it up with um, front-end and designing what the ui will look like you can design right um even if it's just more workflow um directing of what the flow of the application looks like all of that is uh, easy to split up into those work tickets once you understand, hey, this is how we want to approach the kind of development cycle. And that gives you an idea of how you want to approach the rest of the project. And a lot of times it, it does take a little bit slower to get going on that, but that organization, that realization of the actual work involved is uh, really important. A lot of, I've seen a lot of teams get caught up in hey, let's everyone just kind of work towards a general solution, right? We all know the end goal and let's just go tackle that. And a lot of times it's, hey, you're working on the front end, we're working on the back end, let's get everything going and it'll all work out. Well, a lot of times that's just, um, you just have a lot of opportunity to get caught up. And a lot of times that's where you see a bunch of delays where either teams aren't focused on the same goal or um, somebody's, you know, creeping into another person's development side or whatever that looks like. And so if you're organized at first, um, that's usually kind of our kicking off point uh, to begin that development cycle. So between figuring out what that looks like um, with your team dynamic and breaking it apart into smaller work tickets, I think that's the kind of key to really starting off on your solution design, no matter what you're using. <laughs> That's great. Do you guys, uh, you manage a small team, keeping these guys on tr on target, on track. Um, what what's that process been like? Delegating and getting these guys to you know push the move the needle, right? Um, ultimately, it's going to be impacting your your end users. So how do you how do you keep these guys organized? Do you have a, a formal QA process that you're checking uh, checking in to make sure these uh, workflows are good to go before they end up in production? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, the biggest, um, I guess, thing we've learned over the last, um, honestly, last couple of years was the full solution is usually not what you want to have that kind of end goal in mind, right? Um, that's usually what you get from a stakeholder. Hey, I need this ready by XYZ. And that's always something that you want to keep kind of in mind. But you really need to break it down into much smaller portions, right? Um, phase one, version one, whatever you want to call that. Um, and that's going back to that kind of prototyping idea that we touched on before is um, you really want to balance those stakeholder deadlines with also the internal deadlines. So a lot of times what we'll take is say, hey, we have two months to finish this project. Let's make sure that we have version one done by X, version two done by X. So version three that we're releasing, that's gonna be our kind of full feature complete solution that we are okay with. And what that does is that creates not only uh, check-in points and 
helps you keep on track because we're not only checking in with the stakeholders when those versions are out, right? Those are our prototype versions, uh, but we also understand we don't get to that close to that deadline and all of a sudden we're scrambling, right? Um, if version one has a lot of issues, we know right away in that scenario that we need to move, move forward and make a lot of changes. And so, uh, you know, you mentioned the QA process. That's obviously a big, a big part of that. And a lot of times, um, you know, work can be completed to some extent, but if it doesn't go through the QA process, we don't even count it as complete. Uh, and the biggest reason behind that is um, it's pretty easy to get something that looks correct or make an attempt at something. But if that's not um, up to the quality standards, uh, you're going to go back and redo and redo and redo over and over again. And so a lot of times, you know, that QA process will look different depending on kind of the technology you're working with, but it will, it has to go in, in at minimum each of those version releases. And oftentimes if you can package kind of features together um, in terms of, right, this is our entry point, this is our visibility point, this is um, any kind of technological separation that you can have there. It's great to throw those QA um, opportunities in the middle of there, right? And the formalized QA is really the important part. Uh, if if everyone's looking at it differently, if those quality standards aren't, um, you know, standardized, then the quality and the feel of your apps will be different from product to product, from stakeholder to stakeholder. And that, you know, consistency and reliability in software is one of the best uh, it's one of the most important attributes that you can have for a good end product there. And um, just for just for our audience, a question for you, JD. Uh, how many, uh, just to give some context here, how many workflows do you currently have running in production? Because you guys have gone through this formal process of implementation. Just to just to give the the listeners here a sense of uh, the accomplishment. And the work that you guys have done following some of these steps, how many, how many, uh, I guess, unique workflows do you guys have in production today? Uh, in production like that, we're using, mm -hmm. not in production like being built currently. Correct. Those are two different lists. Yeah. Uh, let's see, unique workflows. It's got to be, I mean, unique workflows. Probably forty. I don't know. It's hard to say, Robin, only because. So many of our workflows, um, it depends on how you define unique, mm -hmm. like point, you know, end to end, completely contained. A lot of our workflows, the, the like one of the reasons why we use, um, you know, Exalt as a as a mobile uh, workflow platform is I have the ability to um, be able to um, integrate lots of workflows for different people in, in their roles. I kind of look at it more like our workflows is like a river uh, and it's constantly, you know, flowing and we could have these offshoots, you know, we put, we put information in the river. Uh, it flows downstream. Some people pluck that out. Um, some people just need to know that it went by. Um, but it's, it's, it's really, um, an ecosystem now. It's not just a bunch of uh, applications that are self-contained. Um, I don't know. I mean, what, give us an example. What's an example of one 
Um, like our 40, 40 workflows is, is amazing. I, I think, you know, um, in my role, in my world, I'm, I'm talking to contractors and they're excited and they should be for solving one and you guys, yeah. and I want to highlight the, the differentiating factor is we go through these, we pick the right solution, we configure it, we build out the workflow because of a good design. We go through a formal QA process and you, I mean, 40 workflows is, is an yeah, absurd amount. Yeah, don't don't get enamored by that number. It that number really doesn't matter. What matters is are the workflows that you're building adding value to your organization? Okay, are they improving processes? Are you able to get? And how you define value is really you know it's that's unique to different companies, different people, different situations. But um, for example, in general, is it um, are you able to increase the speed in which you do something? Are you able to decrease? Uh, you know, paperwork, like physical paperwork, or are you able to decrease, um, a lot of times when we say paperwork, we mean data entry nowadays, right? Um, are, are you able to get information in, in front of people so they can make decisions in a timely manner, right? These are all things that add, that add, that add value. Is there automation that you can put in place that would reduce a human being doing that thing? So you can have that human being do something else that automation hasn't uh, you know, isn't a solution for yet. So uh, yeah, don't get stuck on the number of 40 workloads. That's just, we didn't ever set out to build that many. We set out to build two, uh, and that was uh, capturing time from our field. We call it a daily report um, and material requisitions. Um, we said if we set out to build those two successfully, uh, it would add enough value to our business that, um, you know, the, the cost of, the platform and the people building it, um, we would have an ROI in the first year. Um, Nate, we, ended, we ended up realizing that in the first eight months. Wow, first eight months. The it 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 is a unique story. Uh, I'm I'm interested to know, Nate. With I know you have a backlog of projects. Where, can you can you give us a little bit of insight on a project maybe you're working on right now? that is in this implementation phase and maybe something that's a little more, you know, close to home. That's, that's, uh, not delivered yet, but what, maybe what is, uh, what is an application that you're working on that meets this criteria you're in? We've, we're doing the right solution and what's the next steps? Maybe you are in QA and what are some challenges that you're working on and having to work through related to this specific workflow? Are you able to share one uh, with us today? Sure. Yeah, I mean, um, right now we're uh, actually one of the smaller projects that we've come across in the past little uh, past little while. And we're working on a simple um, kind of apprenticeship tracker in terms of tracking kind of our apprenticeship um, involvement, uh, the status of all of our guys. Uh, it was a quick win for our workforce development uh, team. And it's currently going through the QA process, um, but that's a good one, a kind of good example of the one of the real challenges of solution design comes down to uh, managing those priorities, right? Um, and that was a good example of, it's a small project that we, uh, in terms of impact and 
uh, it had a large impact, but we knew it was going to be a quick win. And so it kind of shot up a, above some of those other projects that we had in there. Um, and we pivoted pretty quick on that, got it out in about a little week, which is great. Um, but the biggest, uh, I guess, focus on that is knowing that that pipeline and those deadlines and the expectations are always going to be moving, right? We're working inside a uh, ever-evolving um, <clears throat> environment that those deadlines, those uh, priorities, those everything that we get, um, it's a constant stream of change and understanding what that looks like. So when we go down to, uh, you know, we have this wonderful chain that looks great, right? And, you know, oftentimes it seems like, hey, we're just going, right, development, prototype, QA, release, you know, success. Well, that's hardly ever the hardly ever the case, right? Um, a lot of times we pause, um, work on something and go forward. But a lot of times those roadblocks and priority changes and other things like that, um, where they really have a large impact is if you didn't have a good plan to start with, right? You didn't understand the requirements. You didn't have good documentation of what that looks like. You didn't have a good development plan where you can stop, have a start, stopping point, go pick that up at some other time, right? Uh, take a look at and be able to hand that project over to somebody else and say, hey, here's the requirements. This is what we're looking at. Because um, if, I mean, if you can't do that, then anytime you have a change or a update or anything like that, it just completely destroys uh, the process and you have to kind of start from scratch. So uh, knowing that that's part of the process, um, ensuring that's, you know, almost intended in, in the cycle that for your solution design is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you find uh, engaging with, uh, is it too soon to engage at this step with kind of this implementation QA, uh, we're starting to shape the, the application itself. Are you engaging with the end user at all at this step? Is it too soon? Are you doing QA uh, testing uh, within your own kind of small team? Who's, you know, who's checking the work as you go? Yeah, uh, and that's a that's a great question. I mean, most of the time it varies on stakeholder stakeholder. So some of them that are more involved um, have a lot of time uh, to review each step of the process. Uh, oftentimes we'll add some more check-ins, but oftentimes we're we're building applications for uh, individuals that don't have a lot of time to review some of this stuff, right? Uh, executives. Uh, project managers out on job sites, other things like that. It provides a lot of, and that's really where the priorities and the emphasis on gathering those requirements as best you can up front um, and asking those right questions becomes so much more important because um, while we'd love to have, you know, that stakeholder kind of sitting there checking in every couple days to see where we're at and being able to review that and having, you know, that's just not feasible when you look at an organization where, this is, you know, they might have two hours a week to review that stuff if you're lucky um, because they, right, they have a job. They, they're, um, you know, this is important to them, but that doesn't mean that they're going to drop everything and go help you out. And so it's balancing that with 
uh, what can our team do to make it easier for them to understand the solution and get something in front of them? So we're not going to show them something that's a really low level. Um, you know, we always call, we always talk about um, the MVP, right? The minimum viable product. Um, and a lot of times that, again, as I said, it differs for stakeholder to stakeholder, uh, depending on how much contact we're uh, able to have with them. If it's a weekly check-in, then we might show them something a little bit more rough, um, not exactly defined, but if we have one meeting a month with that individual, uh, then that needs to be pretty polished. We need to make sure we're understanding what we need to show them uh, and how that looks so that we can have a productive meeting. We can use that time appropriately uh, before continuing on. And like you said, uh, if you do try to kind of move more towards that waterfall model of, hey, let's just build it and then close our eyes and hope everything works out and never check in with stakeholders and never, um, there's a lot of problems that come up with that one you almost will never hit the mark with the workflow no matter how good your requirements gathering is but number two you also lose a lot of stakeholder involvement right um solution design really sounds like it's obviously you know 90 percent of the work is on the solution design team but the stakeholder still like the rest of this process has a huge huge impact on this in terms of, hey, is he still bought into the process and what this looks like? Um, is he investigating and uh, asking questions out in the field for the actual process? And and how can we make things better as we continue to go along? Uh, so a lot of different kind of aspects of, you know, their involvement, balancing that with who they are, uh, you know, how comfortable they are with this process and, you know, how much time they have. Yeah. The stakeholders are key. Um, they're, they got full-time jobs. They're out, you know, oftentimes either in office out on a job site in your case, uh, you know, they, they're, they're managing people and, uh, they're trusting your work and that you're behind the scenes doing what you need to do to segue a little bit, Jeff, I know that, you have uh, some experience building out workflows. You're taking this solution design uh, and delivering a uh, a product. What? How, how, I guess how do you make sure the workflows that you're building for customers is meeting the intent of the solution design itself? Yeah, great question. Um, I start by trying to have a, a good solution design, as we as we talked last time. Um, but in some cases, you know, you get what you get or you get a, a, you know, a list of requirements, maybe scribble down on a napkin and say, uh, hey, figure out how we can make this happen. And so uh, usually try to come up with that, that minimal viable product that Nate uh, had mentioned before, something that captures without a, a ton of effort what the intent of the workflow is. Um, hey, it's it's we saw it as this in the solution design, you know, and, and maybe sometimes that's written by someone who doesn't totally understand the features and functionality of, of what we're capable of doing, and then start to iterate and get some feedback as quick as possible as we're iterating through turning that solution design into an actual deliverable. And as that iteration is happening and that instant feedback is there and that changes things, there may be more or less requirements that end up showing up, but getting that involvement from, from the end user, from the customer as soon as possible and making it a collaborative experience seems to work better than waiting until the end and, and realizing that while you delivered on the solution design, 
that may have uh, missed the mark on what the customer was expecting. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen that happen, you know, outside of, you know, electronic workflows or, or things like this. Um, but even in, in implementing physical changes to like a factory floor, where when the inputs of what we want weren't very clear, we said we wanted to achieve, you know, change. We changed things, but we didn't quite meet that direction. And had we checked in sooner, had some defined, you know, points where we could evaluate the work we were doing and, and getting that feedback, we could have changed course a lot earlier and saved a, a lot of time, effort, and energy. That's that's a really good point. Um, and this, again, this isn't just for construction. This is for all different types of businesses, all different types of industries. Anybody that cares about, you know, transforming their business. JD, um, I guess one final question as we wrap up uh, the day. What what points of encouragement would you give to somebody that's maybe uh, just starting out, or maybe they're in this very step? Maybe they're struggling with implementation from a leadership perspective. How are you encouraging uh, the teams that are building these things out in case they do run into roadblocks? Uh, well, it's really, really easy to say, uh, you know, very cliche things like, oh, don't give up. Um, if you go listen to the previous podcast, you have uh, an idea that's going to help your company. You, you, um, you think it's going to add some value. Uh, you've designed it. Don't get, we talked about it last podcast, like, okay, you, you designed it, uh, it had some flaws. Let's go reconfigure it and, and get it going. When you start to see a little bit of success, build on it, celebrate it, talk about it. Um, you get other people excited about it. You get them on board. You, you build some momentum that way. Okay. And during this entire process, uh, even though, you or the individuals working on these are, aren't the best at it right now, you're going to gain experience over time, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't very good at it at first, um, arguably still not. So I have smarter people than me like Nate do stuff. Um, but Nate has learned a ton. We have a team of people working on, you know, our stuff for Corbin's um, and they're learning. Here's one thing I'd like to, to put in perspective we talk about this on the construction side also it applies to this a, a lot of uh, contractors or um, yeah just a lot of companies want to use the skills and experience of their people to build projects whether it's a construction project or uh, a, you know an automated workflow project um, we like to flip that on its head we want to use our projects to build the skills and experience of our people because that builds on itself. Now you have people with more skills, more experience um, to help build other projects. And our projects are going to get uh, more complicated as Corbin's projects have uh, with, you know, with mobile workflows, more complicated, more involved. Um, so we're just building on that on both sides. And anyway, just want to keep that in perspective a little bit. Yeah, that's great. So if, are you guys approachable? If, if our listeners want to, you know, reach out to you. What What's a good way to get in contact with you, JD, at, at Corbin's Electric? Uh, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn or just uh, email me, jd.martin at corbinselectric.com. Okay. And Nate, uh, same uh, Google search, Knox Innovations. Uh, I know you guys got a, a pretty amazing website up. What's, what's, uh, can people reach you? Are you easy to get a hold of? 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, as JD said, I think LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to kind of reach out and um, start that dialogue. Um, so yeah, I would say LinkedIn. Well, um, I think it's a good uh, pause point for today. I thank you so much to the guests, you know, JD, Nate, Jeff, really appreciate your insights, your inputs. We're going to be building, expanding on these ideas. So stay tuned into future episodes. Uh, be sure to check out all the latest podcasts from across Hexagon at hxgnspotlight.com or on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And thanks for tuning in. Thank you.